Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hello and welcome to Movember Radio. I'm Osher Ginsberg. Thank you so much for being here. This is a weekly podcast focusing on men's health and the issues that men face today. Since 2003, over 5 million Mo Bros and Mo Sisters have shared stories with us about overcoming odds, achieving great things, and making amazing discoveries that will impact the health of others for generations to come. Each week, we speak with someone from the Movember community who's passionate about changing the face of men's health. And to make sure that you never miss an episode, just subscribe to us in iTunes, the podcast app of your choice, or of course, at MovemberRadio.com. Today, my guest is Adam Garoni, CEO and co-founder of the Movember Foundation. However, before he was in charge of cultivating upper lip hair and men's health awareness in North America, Adam was in charge of men in a very different capacity as a member of the special forces in the Australian military. Now, today we're going to talk not only about the origins of the largest men's health movement in human history, but also about Adam's personal story around manhood and indeed manliness. Now, if you've never heard about how Movember came to be, you may have heard whispers, rumors. Today, you're going to hear the whole thing. A story about how two guys having a beer in Melbourne has turned into more than 5 million Mobros and Mo sisters all around the world raising money, raising awareness, and starting conversations about men's health. So, I hope you enjoy this conversation with Adam Garoni. How you doing, Adam? I'm doing really well, Ash. How are you? I'm good. We find you in Southern California. How, uh, how is it over there? It's um, 72 and sunny. Like it is every, every day. day. Yeah, it's, the uh, the monotony in the weather is absolutely amazing. So we don't talk about the weather here. We talk about the traffic. Yeah, so. yeah. Um, you are the CEO of Movember USA. You've lived in America for a number of years now, and it, it sounds to me like you're taking to California quite well. Yeah, there's a lot to like about it. It reminds me of Australia, the culture. Um, I've got a Californian girl as uh, my wife. Um, so been here eight years now. Uh, 2007 was when I moved across to launch the Movember campaign in, in the US and Canada. And it's just been this amazing journey ever since uh, then. And the Prostate Cancer Foundation, who was our first partner uh, in the US, happened to be based in Santa Monica. So it was a very nice place to rest my laptop and call home. 
<laughs> the rest of my laptop were such <laughs> such modern global men. Well, you know, for many people who are listening, they they may know Movember is a thing that folks in their office do, or you know, they see a few extra mustaches around town for one month of the year, but they may not know the story. Now, I know you've told it often, but mm-hmm. there's always someone who's never heard it for the first time. There's there's such there's mystique now about nice. where it where it happened. Was it a pub? Was it a backyard barbecue? Was there four guys? Was there five guys? What could you pinpoint the day when it began? Right. It was a Sunday afternoon. There were two guys and it was my brother, Trav, and very good friend Luke or Lucky. And uh, they're at the Gypsy Bar on Brunswick Street in Fitzroy, uh-huh. Melbourne. And they were both talking about fashion. And this was in 2003. And they were talking about how fashion eventually cycles back into style. And it's about sort of an eight, ten-year cycle often. And they had a few more beers and the conversation turned to, there has to be some stuff that hasn't come back. And uh, back in the day, our dad had an epic moustache, as did many of our sporting heroes in Australia. And as I've come to learn uh, in America and Canada back in the late 70s and 80s, so uh, a few more beers and the conversation turned to why has the moustache not made a comeback and why not make that a challenge. So the first I heard about November was from an email from my brother and it was titled, Are You Man Enough to Be My Man? He challenged me to grow a moustache back in 2003 and we set the rules, um, which... Uh, still hold today, which is start the month clean shaven and then grow a moustache. And we'd come together at the end of the month of November or Movember for a moustache-themed party. So there were 30 of us that grew that year and everyone turned up and the majority of people turned up dressed up um, to match their moustache and we crowned the first ever man of Movember. And it was just a really interesting experience and social experiment to change your appearance so dramatically and back in 2003, we were the only late 20-year-old, early 30-year-olds rocking moustaches. And the response was quite amazing and shocking. My boss wouldn't let me go and see clients and <laughs> friends would be just going, what the hell are you doing? Just random people would be going, sort of walking down the streets and pulling their children in a little bit closer to them <laughs> as you walk past. So these amazing stigmas that uh, existed about moustaches and the like was, was really interesting and you sort of you're perceiving that you're putting yourself out there not looking your best. And it's a really interesting experiment to do that. And then the conversation comes off the back of that. And there were four of us that got together in 2004 and thought, let's do something with the power of this moustache and the power of the conversations that are created off the back of it. And we're inspired by the women around us and what they're doing for breast cancer. And we just thought there's nothing for men's health. So right from the get-go, our cause has been men's health. And we're really passionate about that. And then our first issue that we focused on was prostate cancer and it was a disease that had very little attention on it at that stage and it affects as many men as breast cancer does um, women so that was sort of the the evolution for it to becoming a um, you know a fundraising campaign and was there a personal connection with prostate cancer there wasn't actually no. There, um, we, we often get asked, you know, was, did you was your dad sick from prostate cancer? And we often reply, no, 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 he just had a really sick moustache back in the day. So that was more the genesis. <laughs> but we we focused on men's health, and then the four of us started to research and dive into this. And it was like, there's two male-owned cancers, and we we support both of them, prostate and testicular cancer. And it was really shocking to us that prostate cancer had the same social impact, but no one was focusing on it. And so that became our go-to cause, and then we added testicular cancer, and then we added poor mental health along the way, as you know. Mm. 
the first Movember was 30. Obviously, people asked, well, that's it, next year I'm in. What was Movember round two like? Yeah, 2004, we um, cobbled together a, a website and uh, you could down, you, you sort of signed up and downloaded a form where you could raise money. We roped in our mum to do all the accounting and receiving. Uh, <laughs> and there were 450 of us and we raised $54,000. And when I first took the concept to the CEO of the Prostate Cancer Foundation in, in Australia, he, he uh, flat out just looked at me and laughed and said, there's no way knowing this is going to work. You know, the people that get involved in prostate cancer are 55-year-old men and their families. Um, this just isn't going to work. So when we turned up with a cheque for $54,000, it was the biggest single donation the Australian Foundation had ever received. And it was like, how the hell did you guys do this? And so you've had a relationship with those guys ever since? Yeah, the Prostate Cancer Foundation of Australia are still our partner today. And, you know, through this journey, you know, I've raised tens, hundreds of millions of dollars for the cause. I mean, Movember's now the biggest funder of prostate and testicular cancer research and support programs in the world. So it's, it's fundamentally changed what we're able to do in that space. I, th- I think, you know, just the, the excuse that men get to have of like, I'm going to grow this terrible moustache. A lot of folks maybe not realise that not every man can grow the Tom Selleck. Not every man can look like a professional cricket player. A lot of guys, like even in their 40s, like me, for example, I, I can't grow. I can I grow it as hard as I can. Right. <laughs> I squeeze with all my might. Give it a damn good shot. It doesn't. Yeah. Sometimes it can look pretty ordinary. So the, the wonderful thing about it is like not only are you doing it yourself, you also kind of, by changing your appearance, you're enlisting everyone in your social circle in this, in this conversation, which has a very interesting effect of spreading the word. It does, yeah. I mean, it is the perfect word of mouth campaign. I mean, literally the moustache is, it's on your face, it's in your face. And, you know, when we started this, this is well before social media, I remember, I think it was 2006, we started up our first MySpace page. What's been amazing over the last few years, obviously, is everyone is able to amplify this message so much greater because of these social platforms where you can tell your story and obviously it's a very visual journey so you've got this all this new content every few days around yeah check me out and I'm doing it for a great cause and when did you all realize that you were onto something not just novel but something that could actually make a a very real and very serious impact in the global healthcare space it was probably 2005 so and at this stage we're still volunteering and doing November in our spare time and we went in 2005, we had 10,000 people participate and we raised $1.2 million. And to put that into perspective, the, the Prostate Cancer Foundation, who had a staff of probably eight people, they were raising $600,000 a year through every activity and dinner and run and everything they were doing. It was just this phenomenon that started to catch on. So it was that year, and it was one of our toughest years after that because we donated all that money to the Prostate Cancer Foundation. So we're left with no money and this dilemma around, well, we either shut November down or figure a way to, to run it properly such that, you know, myself and Luke could work in the business and, and build a proper website and do the accounting properly and have audits and create a board and all this logistics um, which is so important with the foundation, all the governance and back end um, wrapped around it because you've got a lot of media attention all of a sudden and people are going, well, hang on, who are you guys? At that stage, we weren't even set up as a, a registered charity in Australia. We were working through 
the Prostate Cancer Foundation. So all these questions caught us off guard and it was really interesting. At that point, we started to get criticised, like we're just trying to do something good here. And, and we, we legitimately debated for a while between the four of us shutting Movember down. And we persisted. And I think that persistence right through our journey has been the key thing. You know, that grit sort of got us through and we ended up getting a sponsor on board uh, in that year who gave us some cash up front. And that was enough... I mean, it wasn't a lot of money by any stretch, but it was enough for myself and Luke to quit our jobs and start doing part-time jobs to, to pay ourselves in other areas and then fund the establishment of the Movember Foundation in, in 2006. And in that year, we decided to launch in New Zealand as well. And we also added that year, made the decision that one cause that we were touched by, the four founders, was uh, suicide. And we all had a number of friends unfortunately, that took their lives and we didn't, didn't really understand it. It wasn't our go-to cause because it was like, for us, it was like, hey, this affects men and women. But then when you dive into it, it's like just shocking that, you know, four to five times as many men take their lives through suicide. And it struck us as just a, such an important men's health issue that, again, no one was focusing on from a male-gendered perspective. So we ended up partnering with Beyond Blue in Australia. Um, we're still partnering with those guys. From those early times when you were doing a part-time job to, to push you through to, to now where you have offices all over the world, you've raised hundreds of millions of dollars, but not just that. When you think about the original 30, then 450, what do you feel, Adam, now when you think about the millions of Mobros and Mo Sisters who participate every year? Yeah, I mean, it's really humbling and that's again, is so motivating you can actually see real, real progress happening. You just get guys coming to you all the time and their partners and their children or their parents and just going, thank you. Thank you for November. And it's so much more, it's about the conversation as well. Money's one thing that's fueling research and support programs, but the conversation, that's changing and saving lives every day. Why is the conversation so important when it comes to men's health particularly? Well, you and I have experienced this. I think men take it upon themselves to look after themselves and they don't want to put their hand up for help. They'd rather put on a brave face in front of their family or their friends and bottle this emotion up or this illness up. And we're just not good at seeking help. You know, our story was like I'd known you for, I don't know, five years or something at this stage and we were out paddleboarding together and doing Movember and this shoulder-to-shoulder conversation. You go, hey, man, I, I, I want to tell you that, you know, you told me that you experience anxiety and, and struggle with that. And it was like that conversation that was facilitated initially by us comparing how shitty our moustaches were <laughs> <laughs> um, created this little safe environment. And in, inspiring men to talk is... The first step, I think, to, to any, kind of, any kind of men getting help because we, as, as our nature, we want to we wanna fix things, we want to be seen as self-reliant, we want to be seen as, no, 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 I'm fine, everything's okay. That can be a, a deadly decision. If you ignore it for long enough, that can be a deadly decision. Yeah, it's really interesting. Some research that um, the Movember Foundation funded was it looked at some of the triggers for men falling into depression and, and in going down this slide that, you know, sometimes tragically ends with 
an attempt or actual suicide. And, you know, there's a couple of really important trigger points. And, and one is as, as men get older, the number of social connections they have diminishes because we become far more focused on our own family and um, work. And then as you get older too, there's more sort of significant life moments, whether it's having a child, whether it's losing someone, whether it's losing a job. When you combine those two things and the sort of lack of social connection a lot of men have, um, they don't have anyone that they feel as though they can talk openly with. So they sort of start to bottle this stuff up. So for us, and you know, it's, it's really in part one of the reasons why when you came to us with the idea around Movember Radio and the podcast, it was like this is another medium for us to create these conversations mm. and just let men know that it's absolutely okay to have a chat. And we, another interesting finding with this research was that more often than not, a guy will say, I'm here for my mates. If they ever need me, I'm here and they know I'm here. But then, the, then you ask the same guy, would you actually reach out and contact someone one of your mates, if you actually needed help, they go, no, 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 I'd never do that. <laughs> you know, it's like a, a school dance where you've got the girls on one side, the boys on the other, and they're just like, <laughs> I know you're over there, but I don't want to go and ask you for a dance, you know. What are some things that people might be experiencing that they might not realise are an early sign of things not being so, so 100%? You know, it, it does come back to often a significant life moment mm. which you know can trigger something it might be finding out you've got a particular illness or a family does it, it can be you know some of the most amazing moments but are life-changing like having a child or getting married and that changes your environment and a lot of guys don't truly appreciate that the impact that that has so often it's you know those moments and in some cases you know that with your mates that they've going through something um, in other cases you don't and and, and sometimes it's really hard to tell. And we always just say, you know, I try and do this every week. Like just pick up the phone and, and call like three, three mates a week. Just call them and say hi. Don't email or text them or whatever. Just call them and, and check in and see how they're doing and just say, hey, what's up? And, and it's not just how you're doing and it's like, yeah, good. It's like, no, no, no. How are you doing? What's, what's going on? You know, we've got a little tagline at my members like check in, don't check out. You know, just, just doing that. And there will be little, sometimes you'll pick up nuances with what someone will say. And it's like, you don't necessarily need to drill in and have a deep and meaningful conversation. You just go, yeah, man, I'm, I'm here for you. I'm, I, I feel for you. And just know that, know that I care about you. And I think that's really important. I think also as, you know, I'm, I'm in my early 40s and I'm, I'm divorced. And going, as a man of, of my age, you... You know, you are around other men who are also going through these things, guys who are going through births of first children, deaths of their fathers or mothers, divorces, businesses failing. Um, let's be honest, affairs, this sort of thing all happens around men that are close to you. And sometimes, even though it's not you doing it, you can also be quite affected by this, especially if you've known the guy for a long time. It can, mm. it can kind of rock your world a bit. Oh, Absolutely. You know, it's just recognising that and just being conscious of it. Because even, even this research, which sort of sounds obvious when you say it, being conscious that those things can have a really big impact on your life. And, you, you know, one of the other signs often is you'll see people throw themselves at work or drink a lot or party a lot or do something excessively. It can, it can even be exercise. You see this and it's like... Sometimes that's just masking something else and it's, and it's a way for them to, 
to escape that. And I've done that. You sort of dive into work and sometimes there's other stuff going on in your life that's it's just easier to to block that out by focusing on on something which which is just not healthy and, and it's not sustainable. I was speaking with Tom Carroll, who's a Movember ambassador yesterday, and his big thing was that anything that you deny will just grow bigger. So don't think that by denying it, it'll go away. <laughs> right. You, you've got to tackle those obstacles yeah. at, at some point. Yeah, you can block them out, but they're not going to go away. No, no. And sometimes that can, depending on what it is, it can be really, really confronting. Just I want to talk a little bit about your background, Adam. You were in the Australian Defence Force. How old were you when you, when you started there? I went straight from high school to the um, Australian Defence Force Academy and I was, I was 17. Um, uh, I turned 18 a couple of months after, uh, after I got there. So I, I, thought I, was a, I thought I was a man, I thought I was an adult, but looking back on it, I was still a kid. That must have been like everyone's had the experience of being the biggest kid in primary school and then we get to high school and we're the smallest kid and we're standing in the tuck shop line behind dudes with beards and it's, you know, scary. I can't imagine what it was like to go from high school where it's like, good on you, Garoni, well done, to yeah. turning up and just, I'm assuming, getting shouted at every day. It was gnarly, actually. You sort of go from living at home and uh, school and friends and family around you all the time to leaving home and uh, heading up to Canberra and the Defence Academy and you're there, you know, you didn't know anyone. And no one did. You know, you're sort of forced in this environment where there's 18, 19-year-olds and we're all there. And, you know, I, I always, I just grew up wanting to be in the military, wanting to be an officer. And, uh, you know, I had my dad and my uncles were in the military and, and that's just what I wanted to do. And uh, you just got there and with the initial training, they just, they destroy you. They break you down. What, what does that look like? I mean, we've all seen Full Metal Jacket and various other angry drill sergeant films, but was it pretty much the same? <laughs> Yeah, you've got a lot of um, senior NCOs and officers that you you want to be like, and these are the images that you have, and you're just absolutely getting nailed. And this, you know, the initial training, and then I, you know, my desire through all this was to, well, firstly graduate as an officer, which I did, and then be selected to join the special forces. And both the initial training, and in particular the the selection course for the special forces. I mean. Their intent there is to break you physically and or mentally. And the, and the aim is to weed out the weak at that stage. And it's a really gnarly, confronting, frightening environment to, um, to be in. So I'm assuming it a long way from the supportive, made a you okay, Movember <laughs> vibe of man-to-man conversation? What they look for, and you know this going in there, is they're looking for any sign of weakness, particularly emotional weakness. Anyone that showed that became a target um, from the instructors and, and from the peers, the people around them. And, um, you know, we called it bastardization, which is essentially bullying. In hindsight, it was brutal, but it was just that was a culture. And, and you know, mind you, we're, we're training warriors and, and leaders of warriors. So an element of that is absolutely needed. But, you know, looking back on it and particularly now doing what I do, it's, you know, it's Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode, and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. 
Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Yeah, it was snarly. So I'm I'm guessing in that situation there's not many men who will voluntarily put their hand up and say, I need a hand with something. I'm guessing the, the culture around talking about any problem you've got was you don't talk about any problem you've got. Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. I mean, those that did put their hand up and go, I'm struggling, I can't cope, that they were out. And, you know, particularly in the, the special forces selection course and training and, and even when you're in the unit, that, that was it, you're out. So you bottled all this stuff up and, you know, all of us have fears and uncertainty but you just bottled that up and when you're out training or operations whatever it was you you put on this front and of of confidence and um no fear and because i remember back in the day this was there was those stickers no fear yeah yeah and you know we put them on our helmets and stuff it was like no fear but deep in sound you know when you're standing on the back of a plane ready to jump out of it i was shit scared but you didn't show that. You led the boys out the back of the plane and you just hoped for the best. But then when you, and I remember this, you know, you got by yourself. Occasionally you just literally call up in a bowl and turn the lights off and, you know, I just think, you know, I just remember just sort of breaking down. You know, you'd literally pull yourself together and, and, and literally soldier on. It's like, you know, you've got to get back out there and be the leader and, and literally show no fear. And I, th- I think, you know, the military certainly pride themselves on building physically very, very tough, resilient men and women, but also mentally tough. But I, I, but I also think on the one hand you're mentally tough, but on the other hand you're, you're really, really weak and vulnerable because you just don't have that outlet. Certainly when I was in the military there, there was never that outlet and it and never let up because that flowed over into, you know, the social environment as well. It's a huge drinking culture. Um, and, you know, you just had to keep up or, you know, you're, you, you were out on a limb. Um, did you feel the pressure when you were, I mean, off barracks and stuff like that? Did you feel the pressure to also perform and also fit that mould? Yeah, absolutely, because, you know, it's, it's a very closed environment. So your social group for the most part were... Uh, were, you know, the other officers that, that you hang out with. So you literally work with them, live with them on barracks and then socialise with them. So it was 24 by 7 and binge drinking was, was huge and you just had to keep up, otherwise, you know, you're, you're weak. 
So what about when you were away from training, when you were actually deployed? I mean, did you ever get deployed? Uh, I, I did an exchange with the Royal Marines and we were pre-deployed into Romania it was as the Balkans war was going on. So we were deployed there for two reasons. One was to assess whether the Romanian army was fit to come um, and be part of NATO. And the other one, the other reason was to be a ready reaction force for the United Nations um, to go because the... Um, the Yugoslavian war was, the Balkans war was going on at the time. So we were pre-deployed and we're up there for like six weeks in the mountains. And um, I don't know whether you've ever seen the movie Jarhead, but it, it was like that. And it was so monotonous every day with like, I think we had about 200 guys up there. Uh, it was just us in the hills watching the news, you know, thinking that we're going to be going in every, every day. Uh, so we're all gunned up, ready to go. Every day we'd go out to the range uh, practice, we go on exercise and um, it just became so monotonous and um, when you're trying to keep a lid on sort of 200 warriors like that are confined like that, the guys end up turning on themselves and it was really tough to keep a lid on it um, and, and that erupt almost every night after, after a few weeks. I'm assuming that time alone would have been quite tough to come by when you're in that close quarters with everybody. Was there any room at all for... It, we, like when you're out there, even then you can't take a mate aside and say, listen, I miss my family or I hope my kids are okay? Uh, no, <laughs> no, no way. It's like I was the company second in charge. So I was the captain at the time and, and I shared a room with the major who was the officer in charge. And um, I mean, when I say a room, it was a tiny room. We had single beds like looking at each other. And so you'd train all day with the guys, you'd eat with them. And then you go to bed and you'd be in the room with another guy. And, you know, I remember going for a walk and I had my Walkerman at the time and I had one tape with me, which was Crowded House, <laughs> um, to remind me of home. And you just put that on and just walk uh, walk around a bit, but you couldn't even go that far from from the base. Um, so that that was literally the only time of maybe like 20 minutes uh, a day that you'd have by yourself just to gather your thoughts and, I think I know all the words to that Crowded House album. So be honest, mate, when Better Be Home soon comes on, did a little tear come to your eye? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, but I think the important thing to remember is that just in, in day-to-day life, and I've spoken with former SEAL team members, you know, there's a tiny millionth percentile of the population that are Special Forces warriors, as you say. The rest of us aren't. We're not deployed at a forward operating base. You know, we we don't need to be expected to, to to keep up to these these standards, but so many guys do. Yeah, and I th- it certainly takes a certain type of person um, to fit this mold. And you know, I got through that. I really enjoyed my time time there. And you know, one of the big things that you do rely on is um, the the friendships that you create there. Um, it really does galvanise you. And you know, in initial training, and then in special forces, you know, you come together with these guys that. You don't know, and pretty quickly because you're sharing this this experience, which is so traumatic on the one hand or unknown. You know the bonds that you create there are just so galvanising because you're going through it, and you literally rely on them. And you know you'd never say to you know to a fellow officer or whatever, "Hey, I'm I'm struggling, I'm worried, or I'm scared, or whatever." You'd ne- you just never say that. But there was this shared sense of purpose, and that we're in this together, and that certainly, you know, got me through through a lot. 
and you know those bonds still exist today with you know with all my mates that that I had you know 20 years ago does it did it take a little time to adjust to being able to talk about things like this once you'd left the military yeah you know what I to be honest I've, I've never really talked about this what we're talking about and it's only you know with Movember and I, I think maybe subconsciously it was part of the reason why we decided to to focus on mental health uh, back in 2006 in Australia and um, now globally that maybe, you know, this was bubbling and it was, um, you know, something that I really wanted to focus on to get a better handle on um, how you do cope with, you know, traumatic moments or changes or whatever it is. And I just, it did take a lot of time to transition out because, you know, your resume after sort of 10 years looks a bit... (laughs) Interesting, if you like, you know, you, you're a captain in the special forces, and you're really good at jumping out of airplanes and shooting machine guns and and leading guys around a battlefield, but not so good at P and Ls <laughs> and 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 corporate corporate life. Is there room for both that kind of super alpha, completely focused, battlefield ready person and someone who can talk to someone else about this is going on? I'm a bit worried about that. Yeah, I know a lot of militaries around the world now have, you know, created divisions around mental well-being and and are conscious of the impact that um, being deployed can have. I, you know, I can't speak firsthand for it, but you know, there's still the the PTSD and the issues that go on there. I, I don't think we fully truly appreciate the extent of the damage that it does, and and we're certainly not providing the right level of um, support for these guys um, as they come out and, 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 and certainly when they leave the army or, or sorry, military, um, which a lot of them do, and um, they're just thrown out into this world. And when you're in the military, you have an absolute purpose. You absolutely know your role in the machine. And when you come out, there's that sort of vacuum where you don't really know what your purpose is and how you're going to get a job in in civilian world or how you're going to fill, you know, the, the void of, you know, the, the, the camaraderie that you had. So it's a huge and daunting task just to transition out of the military, let alone have, you know, any sort of PTSD or, or mental health challenges. Um, and we need to do a lot more. We're, the Movember Foundation is funding a few initiatives in that space, um, particularly in Canada and the US, to try and help create programs that target directly, you know, that challenge because sadly the rate of suicides is um, in the military is really bad. I mean, in, in the US now there's there's more men that have taken their life uh, through suicide than have been killed in the Af- Afghan and Iraq war. That is a, a devastating statistic and it's, it's, it's a bit too much to think about even. Here in Australia where I am right now and, and certainly in the UK and certainly in the US, pretty much you don't have to look too far in your circle of friends to know someone who knows someone that's being deployed yeah. into into one of these um, battlefronts. I was just talking to a mate yesterday and she's going to visit with her friend who's just come back from Afghanistan and I asked her, yeah. you know, do you talk to him about it? She said, no, it's, it's actually really tough. And this girl, this woman's a doctor. And she mm. said, oh, he doesn't even want to talk about it. So what would you recommend of... How do you think people can be there for someone who has transitioned out of the military? Even, you know, what are your thoughts there? Yeah, it's an interesting one. You always, you know, with sort of any mental health challenge or any sort of trauma or or anything like that, you always want to create the right environment 
where you know people do feel comfortable talking about things, you, you certainly don't want to force it. Um, and and what you absolutely need to do is is let them know not just not just verbally but practically that you're there for them, and that social connection is just so critically important, um, particularly for with people you know experiencing depression. They often think that there's no one there for them, and and they you know often particularly with men they they just won't reach out even if there is that support around them. So it's beyond just saying, yeah, I'm here for you. It's actually proactively reaching out to them and saying, hey, let's let's go for a, a run or whatever people are into, just get them active. And often through some sort of activity, you know, this the conversation will come up naturally. So rather than sit them down and say, hey, let's talk about yeah. it. It's, no, that's, that's probably the worst thing you can do. Yeah, you're right, yeah. actually. It's yeah. inviting these men out to... As you say, go for a run, come for a surf, let's go for yeah. a walk, let's listen to some Crowded House. You know, yeah. you know what I mean? <laughs> like yeah. get, get, get involved in an activity that the two of you can do to get together and it might, the conversation might not, might not even happen the first or second time. No, 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 that's it. And it's like that's what we realized with Movember. Um, over the years, it's just through the art, the craft, whatever you want to call it, of growing moustache, we've created this environment where men do feel comfortable often talking about how they're feeling mentally and physically and and it's because the conversation starts around, you know, how good or bad your mo's going and and so it becomes that sort of fun banter and and often and then it sort of tips over into something quite um serious and, and amazing. So I think it yeah, the the key thing is not forcing it. What about for um you know for blokes who might be in the military right now? They might even be sitting in a forward operating base listening to this mm-hmm conversation what would you say to them <laughs> to, uh, yeah. it's, you know I, th- I think it's tough but um i think you know it's okay to be scared it's okay to feel vulnerable okay that you might know exactly what to do we all have these doubts no matter who you are what you do i mean we are humans at the end of the day and i think it's really important to listen to those feelings and understand them and always know that there's someone there for you and you know you may not want to confide in the guy beside you but you know there's there's people at home that care dearly about everyone that's out there and just know that those people do love you and care for you and, and want your home safe you know safe mentally and and physically and i know we did touch on a little bit it'd be interesting to hear your thoughts on transitioning because considering it's something that you've done I can't really imagine what it would be like to have not only your purpose in life, but your social circle, the schedule of your socialization and your physical discipline and pretty much everything, you know, set in stone. And then suddenly to have that purpose taken away, that social circle taken away, that schedule taken away. That sounds like a very, very difficult transition to make. And then trying to go back to your mates who've got no concept of what it was like or, or, or what your life is like now. What would you say to, to people who are tr- have just transitioned out of the military? Yeah, it's really interesting. I, I you know, so fortunate, again, through the Movember journey and experience to know, I've got to know a number of professional athletes. I've talked to a number of them about the same transition. And, it, and it's very, very similar. Um, because, you know, they've got such a regimented, you know, life um, from what they eat to their training program to their performance on the field, and that's all they know. 
And for all of them, their career comes to an end at some point. Sometimes it's, it's through injury and, and really abruptly. What I've come to realise is the transition is almost identical um, because you're going out there and, and you've lost that purpose that you knew was there every day. You knew your job, you knew what you had to do. And, and you often think no one out there truly appreciates the skills um, that you learn. And in both environments, it's possibly the only environments where you get taught how to be a leader, the art and skill of leadership and get practised in leadership in highly competitive and, and high-pressure environments. And, and leadership is such a, an amazing skill and art. So it's really you know, what I often say to those guys and, and in my experience it's sort of taking the time to do a bit of an order and understand the true skills that you have and then how you're going to communicate that and give it context in a corporate environment and that becomes really hard and challenging because, you know, the majority of times you're going for a job interview, those people have got no idea what it's like to be a leader in the military or a, an athlete, but there's some wonderful attributes that you're taught. So it's about going, all right, what are my strengths and, and how, what are my passions as well? And then it's just, it's also about being patient and just it's sort of enjoying that transition because it's another phase of really significant learning and development you know, we all get through it. Um, we can all get through it. And um, on the other side, it's just amazing. And I, I remember, you know, the first job I got out of the military, it wasn't, you know, my ideal job. I just treated it as a stepping stone. Then I had another stepping stone. Then I got a, a really good job that I was passionate about. And then this wonderful thing called Movember came along. To be honest, if, if I was to ever leave the Movember Foundation, which I'm not contemplating doing, it would almost be the same transition again. Because I know my purpose here and it's, you know, but working in a charitable environment. I often think about that and the, the pressures that potentially come with that. And now that you are, you know, you've been working with Movember for so long and you're seeing the Movember Foundation do incredible things in the field of, of not only just helping men to helping researchers to helping change the way that men's health is perceived in society. Do you feel, do you feel satisfied? Do you feel like this is a good purpose to be on? Yeah, I, I absolutely do. It's like it's it's every day. It's so gratifying. I, you know, just on the military thing, I um, I, I didn't even know about this program, but we funded a small program up in Canada for um, ex-servicemen that were suffering from PTSD, and we got them to uh, basically create this memorial out of out of wood, and it's like a totem pole actually, and it was basically each of them carved in a particular word that meant something to them and it just brought these these guys together to work on something and again it comes back to that conversation we're having around creating environments where men do feel comfortable having you know discussions like that so just that program alone and let alone the research and and everything else that we're doing it's it's so highly rewarding and I think you know as I reflect on some of my career um you know, I had this desire as a kid to serve the country and I did that. I got out, got into corporate world and there was something missing there and then the whole Movember thing came along a little bit by accident and then I got into Movember and it was again, it was serving and, and in this case it was serving men's health and, you know, our aim is to get men living happier and healthier and longer lives and that sense of, the sense of fulfilment that comes from that is just amazing. Absolutely amazing. And I just encourage everyone to do something in their life that is giving back to someone or, or a cause that is um, less fortunate than yourself. It's 
the ultimate rewarding thing you can do and I think it teaches you so much around what what our life purpose is, is all about. What is Movember's vision going forward? As you know, the Movember Foundation does great work all year round mm. but people kind of just get this glimpse of it once every year. But you're, how is the Movember Foundation looking to, uh, to do things going forward? Yeah, we've, we've been through a, a phase recently because you're quite right. The vast majority of people perceive us as a fundraising campaign in November and about the moustache. And we're going through a process now of repositioning that and really a, establishing that we are the Movember Foundation and, and the foundation for men's health. And we work year-round, like, like every other foundation, funding amazing programs um, across prostate and testicular cancer and poor mental health. And we have a whole programs team that are working with a range of partners around the world to, to execute fantastic programs to improve the lives of men. And, and ultimately, we want men living happier, healthier and longer lives. And if we achieve that, that has a wonderful flow-on effect to women and to children and to the community, and, and that's what we're about. Um, and, and for us, and what we focus on is, is men and their physical and, and mental well-being. But um, what we've also recognised is that we need to provide more ways for the community, our global community, to engage and support the foundation and the work. So we've got to elevate all the great work we're doing but give people more ways to contribute to that groundbreaking work. And this November, we're going to introduce a new campaign called MOVE, which is the first four letters of November, and one of the most important things, if not the most important things that we can all do for our health is stay active and move throughout the day and exercise, and that's mental and physical health. So we're offering this year, for the first time ever, an alternate way to engage in the month and be able to sign up and make a commitment to move. And, of course, we'll still be encouraging the guys to grow a moustache, um, but also make a commitment to move and... One of the great and exciting things is, for the first time ever, we'll have something for the most sisters to commit to over the course of the month and have them challenge the men in their lives to either grow or make a commitment to move alongside them. So we're talking how many kilometres can you cycle, how many steps can you climb, that sort of thing? Yeah, absolutely. It's the spectrum. It's like, you know, I want my dad to walk 45 minutes a day. I might probably commit to 30 workouts in 30 days. So it's it's open and we want it to be open and we want it to be a challenge and it's... This is not just about professional athletes getting fitter or fit people getting fitter. It's, it's about everyone moving a little bit more. Mate, it sounds like it's going to be a big year for you guys. And uh, once again, I'm, you know, I'm just thrilled to be a part of it, man. And I thank you so much for your time, Adam. I really appreciate you talking to me today. And that was Adam Garoni. You can follow him on Twitter at A-D-A-M-G-A-R-O-N-E. Do let him know that you heard him here. Um, That's it for the show today. If you like what you heard, please rate and comment on the show in iTunes. Do follow Movember on Facebook for anything else you need. You can always find us at movemberradio.com. Take care of yourself. And thank you so much for being here. Talk to you next time. 
Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.